Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I add my welcome to that which you've already received. Hey, shout out to Bearden, Roan County, down in Ampton, Blen. We're glad to be together this weekend. Good to be together. Good to actually spend some time in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. There you go. Hey, I've shared this before. I have a philosophy about travel and airports. And here's my philosophy. It's called the system. Once you get past security, it owns you. It owns you. So you gotta, you got to just give yourself up to that. It owns you. It decides when and if you'll get to where you're going. It has no personal feelings about you like you have about the day. It has no personal connection to your luggage, your baggage, your stuff. And if you get to the other side, you may or may not have it. It decides when it's going to spit you out or if it's going to spit you out and if you'll even have your belongings at the other side. It's called the system. I got caught up in the system again last week. And usually I get frustrated in the system. I was somewhere try, trying to travel back home, and we got delayed an entire day plus a few hours. And I thought, I can't believe this has happened. I'm caught in the system again. But I had a quick thought, and I thought, well, rather than being frustrated for the next day or so, what, what if I just turned my mind around a little bit? So I started to actually intensely people watching. I just got engaged in the, the hustle and the bustle of the airport. If you've been in an airport recently, Things have changed. Like, not only are people going, coming and going and breaking into traffic. I don't understand when people get off a plane, why they don't understand. Like, there's a bunch of folks moving out here. Don't just come out with your cell phone and stand there, right? <laughs> or folks texting, walking towards you. Like, they're going to hit me. And so I just sat for a long time observing and, and just taking in the lives of people, kind of creating my own narratives about, I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder what story, what's the backstory of that person's life? And I started creating all these narratives and and it's not too far from reality. I think people are desperately searching for meaning and connection in life. As I sat there and watched, it just was, it just was profound to me that, that over and over in, in the lives in which we live, in the hustle and bustle of the world in which we live, they're just folks in a desperate, desperate search for more. Came home. Actually, the system spit me out. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> got home, got out, got my stuff with me, and I was in a coffee shop a couple days later, and um, I, I'm an eavesdropper. So I, I try to take everything in. I observe everything. So if you're in a public setting with me, I'm listening to everything you're saying. And I'm intrigued by it. I'm entertained by it. And I was in a coffee shop, and I was in a line waiting for my coffee, and I heard two or three conversations going on, people talking about their jobs or sports or family or what they're doing this year for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Or, and I was listening to that, and I thought the same thing's true. There's this, there's this reality in people's lives that they're quietly looking and searching for the more that, that, that life should be offering. It's this quiet desperation that there's got to be more. It's this, this, this subtext beneath the surface that's there. And I, I found myself wanting to shout out, and maybe I was not being obedient to the Spirit's word in my life. I should have just said, hey, what you're looking for? It's Jesus. I wonder what people would have done at, at the coffee shop I was in. But it is. And here's the truth and the reality that we live in as followers of Jesus. We, we actually know the more, the more that our hearts yearn for, the more that our hearts long for, and it's Jesus. And there's a life on full that God's called us to live. There's a life on full that God's given us. A life on full that's, that's laced all throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 23, we're going to spend this next month in Psalm 23. And it's a psalm that we typically think of. If you've been around church for a minute, you've heard this psalm. And if you've not been around church for a minute but attended a funeral, you've heard this psalm, Psalm 23. And we're only going to spend, really, our time this morning in the first verse. So we're going to call you to memorize it this week. We can all do this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, written by a man named David. 
And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's easy to say, it's easy to print on a bulletin or a program for a funeral, but I got to tell you, it's hard to live out. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We see it maybe inscripted on a tombstone, and yet that reality, that death psalm that we think it is, is not a death psalm at all. In fact, it's a psalm of life. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he's not calling us to death. He's calling us to the life that's on full, the life that God wants and longs for us to live. We're segueing out of Exodus into Psalm 23 and into a, a study of the Psalms. Actually, over the next couple months, we're going to spend some time in December in the Psalms as well. And yet, the reality is, it's, it's not a separate deal. The, the words and the language of Scripture are overlapped, they're intertwined from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Exodus is a prototype of, of what we see all throughout the Scriptures was God's calling us out of darkness into light. God's walking with us, His presence with us. James Hamilton, a, a theologian, summarizes it this way, and he nails it. He says, Yahweh, the good shepherd who led his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the land of promise, also protected David. Yahweh, the same guy, the same God. Yahweh, the good shepherd, then became incarnate. And Jesus, the good shepherd, has led his people out of slavery to sin by accomplishing the new and greater exodus. Jesus shepherds us through the wilderness to the new and greater land of promise, the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, I shall not want. We're being shepherded by the one who leads. And life on full is only full if Jesus is leading. I can live a life on full when Jesus is leading. That's the big idea for the weekend. That's the big idea that emerges here, even from the first verse of this psalm. And it's going to be carried through, through the rest of David's words, through the rest of David's sentiment here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He uses the word shepherd. And the language of the Bible has a lot of metaphor in it. And so I think it's important that we actually stop for half a second and think about the metaphor of a shepherd. Most of us, when we think about shepherds, we think about those guys who are kind of menial dudes out there in the countryside, dusty, dirt-ridden, moving sheep from one place to another. That's true. Getting ready to go into the holidays, probably hear about shepherds in the next month or so. There's some shepherds out on a field minding their flock by night when they were, they were confronted by a host of angels declaring the, the coming of Christ. True, too. I grew up in a church where we had these fans because we didn't have air conditioning back in the day. And uh, on the back of the fan that was probably provided from a funeral home was the Lord holding a sheep around his, his shoulders. Also a picture of, of a shepherd. But the shepherd metaphor that David's getting after here it is not just that. It's far more than that. In fact, it's far greater than that. The metaphor that David's drilling down on when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd is an ancient metaphor for royalty. It represented someone who had authority, someone who had power. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's calling us to, to think about someone in great power and in great authority. The great kings of Israel were referred to as the shepherds of Israel. They were the leaders, those who oversaw the people of God. David himself was a king, a shepherd over Israel. So the psalm that we often connect with funerals is so much more than a funeral song, my friends. It is. It's a psalm of life. A song of living, living life on full, where Yahweh is our leader, our protector. The Yahweh that led the children out of Israel was the same Yahweh that led David in defeating the Philistine. Was the same Yahweh that actually protected David from Saul and put him in a place of authority and set him apart as king. And when we're familiar with the language of the story, when we're familiar with the language of the Bible, it makes so much more sense. 
that, well-known, that well-known song here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It connects to all of Scripture. The 23rd Psalm begins to be a, a declaration of who God is. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David moves his thoughts in the first couple of verses. If you look ahead a little bit, he first is making a declaration, then he moves swiftly into a place of prayer. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anoint my head with oil. He's speaking to God. He makes a declaration about God, and then he slips into a prayer that we'll get to in a bit. Like Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David was a shepherd. And so when, when he declares, the Lord is my shepherd, that God wants to, to re- relate to David, to the people of God, like David related to and other shepherds related to their sheep, he's saying, I'm the leader. I'm the one who wants to own you, control you, and move through you in a way you never hoped, dreamt, or imagined. David's song reflects both the way God works historically and the way he works personally. The way God works historically, how God works throughout his people, and the way he works personally. You often hear us speaking about how the story of God is not just about you. Because, you know, we tend to make it all about you. It's a collective deal where God's called us as a people. And yet you can't get away from how personal this is for David. This is about David. This gets real personal. David wrote these words And as much as we've understood that it's not about us, it's personal. He wrote these words toward the end of his life. He wrote these words looking back over his life, a man who knew both tragedy and triumph, a man who knew what it meant to fall because of his own sin and to be attacked and be pursued by others, by the enemy, a man who had authority, a man who had a position of authority in the world in which he lived. And he says, hey, the the reality of this fullness of life is going to be found in me acknowledging, declaring, and living out this reality and this truth. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord has authority. The Lord has the power over my life. This is a, an awesome surrender of a king, a great man who says, hey, real life, real life is found when I know that the Lord, the Lord God's my shepherd, and in him I shall not want. David declares his complete trust in Yahweh. So when we read this psalm, the language of the psalm is connective It's connected to all portions of the scripture. When we read the Lord is my shepherd, I hope a lot of you are going, doesn't Jesus talk about being a shepherd in John chapter 10? Yes, he does. In fact, he certainly does. And what he's saying is exactly this. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 10. Psalm 23 would have come immediately to mind for Jews who were hearing Jesus speak about this when he said, I'm the good shepherd. You've had a lot of bad leaders. A lot of folks have come in. I'm the good shepherd. Life on full is dependent on Jesus leading. Life on full is dependent on Jesus leading us. Listen to his words in John chapter 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Underline it. Say it out loud if you need to. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came they may have life on full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. However, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, 
that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is declaring, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one. He declares that he's the good shepherd. He's Yahweh in the flesh and has surrendered his life to rescue the sheep. This is the surrender that you and I found. We who, who know the good shepherd, we lack nothing. Jesus gave his life that we'd have life and life to the full, that we'd have it abundantly. Jesus, the good shepherd, requires that we not just declare it, write it on a program, maybe even underline it in your bulletin, but that we would live it, that we'd be a people like David who said, now am I going to declare that, God, you're the good shepherd? I'm, I'm going to surrender my life to your rule and to your authority. The, this life living with someone else in charge, where someone else is over me, is, is the key David says it's the key to understanding the joy that we long for. It's the key to understanding the, the, the fullness that our hearts yearn for. How do I get to that fullness? It's surrendering to the full authority of, of the shepherd in our lives, to the fullness that's ours. And as counterintuitive and countercultural as that is, and it is, I don't have to convince you of this. You all want to be in control of you. I want to be in control of me. Yeah, I've surrendered a lot, but... Push comes to shove at the end of the day. That, that's the battle that's going on every day in our lives, is it not? I want to do what I want to do. And to live life under the, the, the ownership of someone else is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to surrender my authority, my rights, my will to yours. Wow. That's where fullness is found. And it's not just offered and required. Here's the good news. It's possible. This is, this is possible. You're probably sitting here thinking, yeah, I, I hear that. There's been a battle and a tension within my gut for years. I don't know how to get there. There's a way. And it's possible. God's provided this for us. King David declared it so. He said, this is true. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Paul. Look a lot of Paul's life. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all situations. It wasn't just a flattering statement. He lived through all situations. He had ups and downs. Guy was put in prison. He says, I've learned to be content in all situations. I can find the joy that's mine. I can find the fullness of, of life because my mind is fixed on Christ. So what gets in the way of this? You want to know the answer? Do you? Do you? You want to know the answer? You know what gets in the way of this? You ready for this? You. You get in the way. I get in the way. We get in the way of living life on full, this life that we long for, this life that we yearn for, that's possible, it's within reach. We get in the way of receiving it. God's not holding back on us. So what, 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 how do I, what gets in the way? I have thoughts and feelings and beliefs about who I think God is. All of us have a theology. You might think, ah, those are just for theologians. No, if you, if you have a, a thought about God, you have a theology. You've come to some conclusions about who you think God is and who you think he thinks you are in a relationship with him. We all have that. We all have thoughts and ideas about who God is. And living life on full, getting to a place where, where I'm not in the way, it means I've got to stop and surrender. Following is dying to what I think, feel, and believe. It's dying to what I think, I feel, and I believe. You hear people talk about, man, i got to live my truth. Oh, I'm so, I could throw that one up. I live my truth. Jesus said, your truth, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not a your truth. There's his truth. i got to die to what I think, feel, and believe and align my heart and my life under who he says I am. Following Jesus, I told you it wasn't a death psalm. It's not a death psalm, but there's death in it. A seed's got to fall to the ground and die before it becomes life. God's calling us to align our hearts and our lives under who he says we are. And we all have these subtle things in our life. 
things that actually own us or things we think or, or, or believe about God that just aren't true. And I love Jesus' prayer as he pours his heart out to the Father. He says in John chapter 17, he says, and this is eternal life. He's talking to God, talking to his Father, that they would know you, that they would know you, God, the only true God, and they know me, Jesus Christ, whom you sent, that they would know us, that they know who we are, not who they think we are, but they would know who we are. Folks, there's all these subtle things in our theology. I think we have faulty theology. We all have faulty theology. We just came through an entire series called Reconstruction. It wasn't like we went through this series and we thought, okay, this is who God is. This is who I am. I got it. Let me check that box. Good. Let's do the next series. Reconstruction is something that's happening on, on and throughout our lives every day as God continues to, to actually drive home the truth of who he is over the truth of who I believe he is. I remember early on in my walk with Christ and my walk in faith, um, I made some subtle I made some subtle uh, adjustments in thinking about who God is. My dad is the strong and silent type. He's the strong and silent type. And so when I started to pray, my father, father, I, I really thought God was strong and silent. And that's who he is. Because when I say the word father, that's the metaphor, that's the image I have. And so that must be who God is. Is God strong? Absolutely. Is he silent? A lot of times he is. Sometimes he allows the silence between he and I to draw my heart to him in a way that I would never be drawn had he not been quiet. Allow me to thirst for him. But is he silent? Absolutely not. In fact, there's an old hymn. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. I've learned that God's not strong and silent. He's strong, silent, and communicative. He has things he wants to say to me. In fact, he's speaking to me all the time. God is continuing in a conversation with me as I engage with him. That's who God is. I have to reconstruct some of my theology. How we think affects everything we do. We have thoughts about God. Some align with Scripture, some do not. What we believe in our minds, how we think, governs how we live. It governs how we live. What we think in our minds governs how we live. It's a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And a book he wrote, Life Without Lack. Get it, read it, enjoy it. Life Without Lack. He says this about how we think. Your primary contact with God is through your mind. And what you do with your mind is the most important choice you have to make. What you do with your mind is the most important choice you have to make. How we think, therefore, affects how I live, how I believe, how I feel. It affects everything we do. Following is committing to who Jesus says he is. Following is committing to who Jesus says he is, not who I think or feel or believe he is. Who Jesus says he is. So I gave you an illustration from early on in my life. I'm going to give you another illustration from this week. There are some thoughts that I've had about myself my entire life that I thought I'd gotten over. Thoughts that I felt like God dealt with and, and drilled home in me, the truth of who he is over who I thought I was. And I feel like, man, I could check that box. I'm good. And there's thoughts and a belief system that I have deep, deep within me, a core reality, and it's this. I am an imposition. I'm an imposition. Through some events of my childhood, some drama there and some conversations and things people had said to me in my life early on, I, I, I was convinced in some way, shape, or form that I'm an imposition, that I'm somebody that people have to deal with. I've taken that into every relationship in my life. It's sullied every relationship in my life, including my relationship with God. And so oftentimes when I would pray, I'd feel like, God, I'm just an imposition. And here's what the gospel has done in my life over the, over the last several decades. The gospel in my life has said, you're not an imposition. 
Actually, you were thought about. Actually, I care about you. Actually, I've invited you into a relationship with me. Mark, I knew who you'd be once you came to me. I knew you'd still trip and fall over the old stuff you tripped and fell over years ago, and you're still tripping and falling over it. It didn't surprise me. Your weakness is not going to limit me from being who I need to be in you. You're not an imposition. The gospel's had an effect on my life. So I'm like, amen, absolutely. And then this week, I was in the scriptures, and I kept hitting these these words, two words that kept coming up in the scriptures. Every, it, feel like, it felt like everywhere I landed in the scriptures, these two words emerged, and they were this. And it irked me. Every time I read it, there was a part of me in my spirit, if I'm honest with you, it irked me. And the words were delight and pleasure. Delight and pleasure. I'm like, why? Why is this irking me? It says God takes great delight in those who are, are pursuing him, who are steadfast after his love for him. God delights in them. He takes pleasure in them. And I thought, I know it's true. But is it for me? Is it for me? I feel like God said, Mark, this is something that I've been dealing with in your whole life. I'm taking you to a new place. Yeah, I actually find delight in you. I actually take pleasure when you lift your heart and your voice to me and you, you acknowledge me. When I look back, I'm actually smiling. I gotta tell you, I'm confessing that publicly this weekend. This is a new deal for me. God's continuing to work and move in our lives. And as followers of the good shepherd, we must align with what is true. How we think governs how we live. How we think governs how we live. Living on full is based on the presence of God in our lives. Hear that. If you miss everything else today, living on full is based on the power of the presence of God in our lives, rooted in our knowledge of him. So it makes sense to me, and I think it would make sense to you that if that's true, if how I think with my mind has everything to do with how I feel and believe and act, and interact with God and each other, then it makes sense to me that we'd be engaged in the disciplines of the faith, that we'd be a people that are communicative, that we'd have a, a conversation, an ongoing conversation with God, that we would be in relationship with him such that we're, we're, we're talking, we're actually conversing in and throughout our week, in and throughout our day, in and throughout the hours of our day, that we'd be a people who are about the book. How would I know who God is if I'm not in the book? That we'd be a people who are committed to the scriptures, who are committed to who God says he is, and allow who God says he is by the power of his Holy Spirit to align us, to transform us, to continue to sanctify us, and allow us to see him as he truly is. The Lord is my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. I shall not want. Well, if Jesus is leading, then I've got all I need, right? I have all I need. I shall not want. That, that's a powerful statement, and probably most of us are going, wait a second, is that true? I shall not want. Sure seems like I want for lots of stuff. I shall not want. What does that mean? When Jesus is leading, I have all I need. What? I think we get need and want over, overlapping sometimes, and we think sometimes the things that we think we need are just our wants. God says, I'm going to meet all your needs. I got all you need. And yet, most of my prayer list, maybe yours too, are, are about the things that I believe that I need or I, I certainly want. Some of you are praying that you hear back from that school you made an application to. You want to get into the school of your choice. You want to know before Christmas, like, am I getting into that school? Some of you want a job that actually acknowledges your skill set, actually uses the brain and the skills and the abilities you have and pays well. You, you want the better job. You want that place in, in your work where people enjoy you and you enjoy what you're doing. Some of you want, maybe one specifically person in this room wants, a 50-inch Cub Cadet zero turn. Yeah. 
Some of you want a vacation spot next summer that maybe the, the deposit's already in for. You want to be able to be at the, the space at the beach or in the mountains where you can just unwind and, and be you. All good things. We're, we're allowed to want stuff. Some of you want things that are far deeper than that. Some of you want peace in your relationships. Peace. Could there be peace in this relationship, in this friendship, in this relationship I have? Some of you want your kids to turn back to Jesus. God, they know better. They've, they've heard, they accepted, they moved into a space with you, and now it looks like they're so far from you, I don't know if they'll ever return. Some of you want the stuff that's broken in you to be finally fixed once and for all. God says, I, I have all you want. I have all you need. I've got everything you're looking for. When Jesus says, we're, we're lacking nothing and we have all I need, he means you're lacking nothing. You have all you need. So how can this be true? When David writes this song and describing the abundant life that Jesus gives, he says, the good shepherd says to his people, this is the way you're meant to live, that we would be a people who live life on full. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. I have all that God wants me to have. And folks, this is lived in and not, not defined by who's in my life, who's not in my life, what's in my life, what's not in my life. It's not defined by any of those things, but it's defined by the presence of God in our lives. It's defined by Jesus being with us. We hear about that all the time. He's with us. God's with us no matter what we face, the good, bad, and the ugly. Jesus is with us. It's his presence. Psalm 34 says this is possible. He says, oh, fear the Lord. He doesn't say, oh, be afraid of God. That's not what fear of the Lord means. Oh, fear the Lord. Be in relationship with him. Pursue a relationship with him. You, his saints, for those who fear him lack what? Nothing. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but these who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Again, the language of the scripture should be overlapping for us right now. What? If I seek the Lord, I lack no good thing. If you flip to the other end of the book, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek a relationship with him and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The good shepherd provides everything we need, everything we want. Our good shepherd is limitless in resources. He's limitless. God's not holding back from you because he doesn't he have anything left to give. Jesus was there at creation. It says, all things are made by him, for him, through him. He created all things. God has everything at his, at his disposal. If you don't have something that you think you want or need, it's because he decided he's not going to give it to you. He's got resources that he wants you to have. And some of us have more than we thought we'd ever hoped for. God's kind and gracious. Amen? He's kind and gracious. There's things I have I shouldn't, I shouldn't have. I got a wife who actually knows me and still with me. I, should, I don't deserve that. I drive a pretty cool Jeep. I don't deserve that. There's things that we want. God, God gives us even more than we thought or hoped or imagined. Oftentimes in our lives, he's so gracious and he's so kind. But the thing he longs for is not that we would want the things from him, but we'd want the things of him, the things of God. I love Jesus' prayer in Luke chapter 11. He says, if you, you who are evil, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And what he's saying is, how much more will I allow my presence to be felt and known and experienced in your life by you asking, by you giving up those things, allowing me to fill those spaces in you that are being cluttered by other things in your world and in your life? He, he's not calling you to this because he's a control freak. He's calling you to this because he says, I want you to have life and life to the full. There's a full life offered to us. This private ache and longing that resides, truth be told, in many of us who, still, who know Jesus and are still struggling in this space. 
many of our lives was designed to be met by Jesus and only Jesus. Folks living on full, they possess this settledness. If you've been around people who live on full, they possess this settledness, this joy, this, this peace that just go, is that real? And if, if you've watched and observed them long enough, you got to walk away going, this thing's real. This is the real deal. Paul was in prison. What was, he, what was he doing in prison? Singing songs, all strapped to the wall, singing songs, leading you know, uh, guards to Christ and sending letters to churches, encouraging them. He wasn't faking it. That was the real deal. He knew that his mind was set on Jesus. His mind, how he thinks, how he thought was set on the shepherd, was, was set on Jesus, the good shepherd. How we think has everything to do with how we live. A couple weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, I was running in another city. And uh, it was early in the morning. I got up early and left the space we were in and got out on the street, and there, it, it, it was a city street. And so I was running along um, these storefronts. And I knew in, in my periphery that I could see my reflection in, in, in the glass before me. And uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself, if I'm being honest with you. Man, I had my own clouds on. I was Lululemoned up. I had the gear, man. I was looking good. And in my mind, I, I saw 30-year-old Mark running, man. I was killing it. And looked over at the, at the glass next to me, and I thought, that's Tim Conway from Carol Burnett, man. <laughs> what is that? And I, la- I literally said to myself, I laughed out loud, and went, man, that's an old man running. That's an old man. And I got a block up the road, and Jesus said to me, as clear as I'll get out, he said, Mark, when are you going to stop looking at what's not and look at what is? Yeah, that's an old man running. But here's the deal. Two new knees last year, that's an old man running. I was running. How we think affects how we feel, how we believe, how we live in this life. It's not just a mind game. It's a reality. And so Jesus is calling us to think rightly. It isn't fake it till you make it or pretend life's going good. You know, you say to somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you know their life's in the toilet. Don't tell me your life's going great. Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth about what's going on in your life. It's not fake it till you make it. God doesn't need you to pretend and protect his, his reputation. He's got that covered. He is who he is. It's not fake it till you make it, but it is this. It's having a right perspective. It's having a right perspective. It, it, it's thinking rightly about who God says he is. Life on full does require acting as if Jesus is your leader. Hey, I, I said you're my leader, God. Now I'm going to surrender to that. I'm going to act in that way. It might take me a little while to get there, but I'm going to live in that perspective. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to step into that every day, moving further and further in my walk with you through the good, bad, and the ugly of this life. Trusting that he'll leave us wanting nothing. That he really will and is meeting our needs. It's finding our identity and value and purpose in following Jesus while knowing we each have a way to go. We just have a way to go. Last Friday evening, I was invited to speak at what I'm, I'm not allowed to call a funeral because the woman who passed away said to her daughter, if you have a funeral for me, I will come back and haunt you. <laughs> and she said, well, Mom, what do you want? She goes, I want a party. One of the best funerals, parties I've been to. It was a great party. And that morning, the, the gal who passed away, her, da- her granddaughter, was uh, getting up, and <clears throat> she passed away on, on Monday, and it was Friday of the party, and she got up, and her mom said to her, do you want to go to school today? And she said, yeah, I really do want to go to school, but I, I don't know if I want to go. And she goes, what's the tension? What's the conflict about? And she said, well, my grandmother passed away, and yet when I go to school, being in school and being around my friends makes me happy. 
And her mom leaned down into her little face and she said, you can be both. You can be both. Living the full life is not ignoring or minimizing the difficulties or losses in our life. It's not pretending they're not there. That's plastic Christianity. Nobody wants that. That doesn't draw any of us closer to anybody or anything. It's living in them with a confident resolve that the Lord Jesus is my shepherd and in him I lack nothing. It's, it's finding all that I need in the presence of Christ and Christ himself and his Holy Spirit that resides within each and every one of us. And I know it's possible. This isn't just, <clears throat> hey, this would be great if we could do it. This is possible. Required, yes. Expected, absolutely. And yet it's possible. And I know it's possible because the scriptures say it so. In Psalm 16, the psalmist writes this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. What's the path of life? In your presence, there's the fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's the pleasures forevermore. forevermore. I know it's possible because the scriptures say it so. And I know it's possible because <clears throat> week after week, I see it in your lives. I see it in the lives of the people who make up Two Rivers Church. Folks, we are becoming more and more a people who are living life on full. Not because life's perfect, but because we know the one who is. Because we're living and walking and, and moving in the presence of the good shepherd himself. There's a couple who've become good friends of mine. And then they're, they're getting up there in the age, getting up there in years. <clears throat> and in this guy's 60s, mid-60s, I think it was, he was always following Jesus, but he almost lost his life. And on his deathbed, which he thought was his deathbed, he said to Jesus, if you let me live, I'm going to live all out for you. I'm going to stop messing around with this walk and this following you. I'm going to follow all I got. And God actually supernaturally, people were actually you know, calling in the pastors, it's going down. He's, he's not going to make it. And God gave him another, he's still alive. He's still around. It's been 20 some years. And you think, all right, well, his life must have turned out better. It did. There's lots of things. This guy and his wife, they're amazing, amazing couple. A lot of things they've enjoyed in life. They've had some great experiences in life and great delights that God has provided for them, but they've lived in through a, a lot of heartbreak. His family didn't turn out the way he wanted it. His kids didn't end up being the, the children that he thought they would in the lives they'd live. They're good kids, but the lives they live and, and the other people that were part of their life seemed to, seemed to be destructive to them. His son, midlife, sitting at his desk, passed away of a heart attack. I know some of you know the pain of losing a child. I, I don't know that pain. I can't imagine it. It's got to be the unimaginable. And yet, if you were sitting down right now with this couple and you had a cup of coffee with them or, or a meal with them, you would never guess the backstory. You'd think they must have just been living this beautiful life. They have. They've lived a beautiful life. And yet what they've been marked by in a very real and authentic way is the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. You can't be with them and not experience it. That's life on full. Last weekend, I was in the foyer. And uh, I wasn't having a bad day, but I was like, man, I'm overwhelmed. Sunday's full, and this is another big week for us. We hosted a prayer conference, a prayer gathering this past week, and I was speaking this weekend, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the life of our church, as well as my life, our, our family's life. And I thought, I don't know. It just seems like a whole lot. And I walked up to a guy, and I was just having a, just a normal conversation. And uh, this guy's had a pretty good life. He married up. He's got a great wife, and uh, they've got a great family. And uh, he's had a great career. Yeah, has life been perfect for him? Absolutely not. In fact, one of his kids, one of his sons, is making destructive decisions that are going to affect the rest of his life, as well as his mom and dad, as well as his other family members. And it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to think. And some of you are in that right now. You know what I'm talking about. 
And yet we talked about that for 30 seconds. And the guy said to me before he left, he goes, man, I'm excited about today. It's so good to be at church. so good to be around people that, that love Jesus. I'm so excited about what's coming up this weekend with quiet waters happening and, and all that's taking place. And man, he walked away from me and I stood there both challenged, humbled by his fullness of Christ and the presence of Jesus and challenged to walk into a new week with, with a new fervor, a new energy that I was reminded that, that there's life on full for us. It's possible. This guy changed the trajectory of my week just by living life on full. It rubs off on the rest of us. There's a life that God's called us to live. I've already alluded to it. I've lived a great deal of my life looking at what's not, seeing what's not. In fact, a little testimonial time. The, the, the first 20, 30 years of my life, I feel like all these big moments in my life from graduations to all kinds of events in my life, all these big moments you think, gosh, that... That picture looks like you're happy. I was a wreck inside. All I could think about in some of these beautiful moments of my life was what's not. What's not right? What's not right in the world? What's not right in me? I feel like I, I, I missed so much of these amazing gifts and opportunities and places in my life because I was looking at what's not, not what is. And over the last 10 or so years, God's continued to, to drive the gospel deep into the heart of a man and saying, there's more for you, Mark. There's more that I want you to have. In the last 10 years, I've had some amazing moments, some incredible moments where I've, I've experienced that sacred space where the presence of God is so real. I had moments in my life that, but that just years ago would have been sullied by all that I bring to the table, perfected by Jesus. I held each of my daughters at their weddings and danced. Yeah, I got my groove on. taken in by their beauty, taken in by the, the privilege that God would allow me to have a place in these women's lives. And for the first time, I was present. I enjoyed it, the fullness that God longs for us to have. I've had other big moments like that have been marked by the presence of God. I've had moments that, that aren't so spectacular, but every bit is meaningful to me. Conversations with people at our dinner table or at a restaurant or over a cup of coffee, where you've actually connected with other people in a way that was genuine, that was real, and you're talking about the real things of life. I feel like I'm in this sacred place where I'm filled up. I've had moments in my life right here in this platform, even in this midst of this space right here where God's met me in a profound way and spoken to me as I'm seeking to speak to you, where I've experienced this sacred place that God wants us to live in his presence. But here's the truth. I frequent there. I frequent there. I want to live there. I want, I want to live there. I want to be a, re a resident of this sacred space. Always. Because there's not a place where I go, there's not a place where you go where you leave the presence of God. He's with us. That's the full life. That's the full life that God not only declares and, and requires of us, but says it's possible. I can experience life on full when Jesus is actually leading, where it's not just a, <clears throat> a verse to a song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's where he's actually leading, where we say, yeah, that's the song, but I'm going to go deeper than the, the lyrics. I'm going to get the rhythm in. I'm going to get the movement of this piece of music so deep into my life, so deep into the fiber of who I am, that I'm singing it from within my gut. 
I have decided, I'm resolved to follow Jesus because he's the only one that's going to satisfy. He's the only one that's going to meet my needs. And I can live a full life on him no matter what happens in this world until I see him face to face. And I got to tell you, in my life, in your life, it's not going to happen passively. It's not just going to happen because you heard it. It's going to happen by us stepping forward. God's done all he can. He's, he's laid it out for us. He says, I want you to embrace this. So the first thing we need to do this week Next step for us, every one of us, to connect. We're going we're gonna to choose to follow. Let's choose to follow. Let's choose to follow Jesus. Make a, a resolve, a decision. Like, like my buddy in his mid-60s going, I followed, but I want to follow. I want to give you all I got. I want to follow you. And some of you here, some of you at, on other campuses and other spaces this morning, maybe some of you listened online, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never given. You've never, you've heard this. You've been, you've been traveling this journey a while. You've come to church with friends over and over and over, family members, and you're just sitting there with your arms crossed internally. This is for you. God's saying, I have a life for you. I want you to enjoy life and life on full. I, I've died to give it to you. And so maybe for you, this is the day you make a decision. You make a choice to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Or maybe for you, you made that decision a long time ago. And yet you've gotten tangled up in stuff that you never thought you'd ever get tangled up in. You've made decisions and choices in your life that made a mess of who you are, the relationships in your life, and you think you're just too far. In fact, you may be showing up on a weekly basis, but you know in your heart and your life, you're living at a distance. You're, you're living in a space where you think, God can't even look at me. Here's the truth. He is. He's looking at you. And just like the metaphor of the king and the shepherd is everything about reigning and ruling. It's also about him putting you on his shoulders and walking you back. Folks, I know this person because I was this person. I knew too much about Jesus and made poor choices and decisions that left my life in a havoc and a mess. And God, the hound of heaven, pursued me, chased me down, and, and, and carried me back, but not without me saying, please meet me in this. And so for you, maybe the commitment today in following Jesus is to say, please, Meet me in this. Or maybe for you, it's not that drastic or devastating. Maybe, maybe like the rest of us, there's, there's this area of your life that you know that God's been speaking to you about, even, even as I've been speaking to you today. And you go, there's something in me that I'm holding on to. I'm following, but I'm not giving you this. I'm not surrendering to this. I'm not putting my life and my, 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 my ownership of who I am under your reign and rule where this is concerned. And God's going, I want you to let go of that. Because the fullness you long for, the very thing you desire that you long to have is only going to be yours in you letting it go. That we'd be a people who follow. And that we'd be a people who follow through. That we'd follow through. That we make a commitment and a decision. Nobody likes somebody to make a decision and not follow through. Let's follow through. What does it mean to follow through? It means engaging in the disciplines of the faith. It means in engaging in a conversation with God beyond Saturday night or Sunday morning, beyond the weekend, beyond small group. It means talking to him in and throughout your day. It means engaging in the word, allowing the word of God to bring alignment, to bring truth of who he is in our lives. You, you can't move forward just in your thoughts and feelings. God wants to speak to us through his very word. We have a thing we call live it out. We're all living it out together. There's a movement of God happening among us. I hope you feel it. We feel it. We sense it. God is moving us further and further into his word in alignment with who he is so we can be all about what he wants us to do. Folks, we're in this thing. If you're not in the movement, get in. It's happening. Pick it up. It's a discipleship tool, but it's so much more than that. As you, as you with the rest of us, step into community, 
and enjoy what God's doing and what he wants to do in your life through the, the, the corrective place he places us in the scripture, that you'd embrace it. That conversation I had in the foyer last week wouldn't have happened outside community. God used another brother to actually stir me on to love and good deeds. That's what it looks like. Not that we just use the discipleship guide, but we'd be a people to live it out. That we'd be a people who live so much on full that the world's blown away and they go, what's going on with them? What are they eating or drinking? I want some of that. That's the life God's called us to. So what does it look to follow this week? We believe God is communicative. We believe Jesus speaks. We believe he's speaking to you by the power of his spirit in your gut right now. And so we're going to spend a moment. We're going to create a little bit of space before we end our time in worship, both here and our other venues. And we're just going to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, where, where are you calling me to follow? Where in my life? Where is this personal for me today? Where, where are you calling me to follow? Let's just spend a moment there. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. Thank you that... Um, you're alive and well. Thank you that you are uh, our good shepherd. And in you, we, we really do lack nothing. God, speak to us, each and every one of us right now. What does it look like for each of us to follow you in this next chapter of the life you've called us to? We surrender this time to you.